It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Affirmative action for conservative ideas on campus. Do we really need this? Michael Roth of Wesleyan University. We had Justice Scalia now five or six years ago, and there were protests. I was the host. If I hadn't been the host, I would have been a protester because I think Justice Scalia did more harm to the interpretation of the American Constitution than just about anyone in the last hundred years. However, I may be wrong. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? You know, Richard, it's such a, on its face, kind of a contradictory idea that affirmative action, something that certain conservatives have opposed, now could be turned around in their favor. But it is actually being proposed in some quarters. Yeah, I know. Conservatives may be uncomfortable with that term affirmative action. But from Middlebury to Berkeley to Evergreen State College, we've seen the headlines that conservative speakers have been shouted down or banned from college campuses altogether. Right. And even in cases where we haven't had these nationally recognized examples of, of speakers being shut down. There's an argument that a lot of college campuses are becoming ideological monocultures. And Wesleyan University President Michael Roth has a really interesting idea that he wrote about in the Wall Street Journal that, in fact, colleges should make an active effort to enhance ideological diversity just the way they make an effort for gender and race and class and other things. Yeah, Michael Roth says there's no denying that there's a left-leaning bias on American campuses, and he's somebody of the left. So I drove up to Middletown, Connecticut, where Wesleyan University is located, and here's my interview with him, and then our conversation, Jim, and I know we're going to disagree. <laughs> right. I was sorry I didn't get to join you on this little field trip, but um, we'll see what kind of job you did, Richard. Do you feel that on American university and college campuses, there is a crisis over free speech? And if so, how do you see it? No, I, I don't think there's a crisis over free speech on American college and university campuses I think there's a healthy debate about the um, importance of free speech and the importance of academic freedom, the uh, nefarious impact of harassment uh, of various kinds. Uh, I think there is a crisis in the country of political and cultural polarization. I think there is a crisis of inequality and that these crises bubble up on college campuses in a variety of ways. One of them is 
uh, a lot of attention to free speech issues at very particular kinds of schools. That is, so we have uh, UC Berkeley or Middlebury, and very highly selective, very intensely intellectual environments where the general public is intrigued by uh, uh, students uh, who object strenuously and or, or worse to views that, with which they disagree. But on campuses all over this country, you can't teach evolution. You can't teach things about birth control. You can't teach certain forms of science. Those are real free speech issues. I mean, there are, there are places in this country where you can't teach, I don't know, let's say existentialism because it's atheism. So you're referring to some religious colleges yeah. or very conservative colleges. Yeah, so I think that this is... Uh, you know, the, whether it's the Times or the Wall Street Journal or other, you know, major news outlets where many of the successful reporters have gone to kind of cool, highly selected schools, they like to look back and say, oh, gosh, when we were there, we never would have behaved like those students behave today. Um, but I don't see that as a, as a free speech crisis. I, 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 I should be clear. I think it is wrong to disrupt a speaker with whom you disagree just because you disagree with that speaker. I think. Well, let, let me ask you about th- that, because that clearly has happened. That it has, has happened, it and has it could happened. happen here at, well, at Western. You know, it could happen here, and, and I hope it doesn't. And we had Justice Scalia now five or six years ago, and there were protests. I was the host. If I hadn't been the host, I would have been a protester, because I think Justice Scalia did more harm to the American interpretation of the American Constitution to just about anyone in the last hundred years. However, I may be wrong. (laughs) So having him articulate his view and defend it was something um, I was happy to host. But I also disagree strenuously with his view. But my view is you can demonstrate strenuously, but then let people listen and make up their own minds. So, so where should the line be drawn? Is a protest outside um, an event fine, but disruption inside the event not good, in your view? Well, I think that disruption inside the event has to be dealt with in such a way as that the event can take place. In other words, the speaker can say yeah. his his, yeah, his or her point. Exactly. So, um, you know, boisterous Protest is also a free speech right, and and I think that uh, the heckler's veto is uh, definitely something that we, sh- we should not allow on a campus, but boisterous protest is something we should allow. And most of the time that goes off pretty well. That is, I myself am the object of protest, and so I've given speeches where the protesters are surrounding me, but I can give my speech. Now, of course, it's it's tough to do that, but I would not say that those protesters don't have a right to make their views known as long as I get my chance to say what I'm supposed to say for that occasion. I think most of the time that goes fairly well, and I, I, I think when it doesn't, it's good to remind people that remind people that it's wrong to keep a speaker from making her case or his case just because you disagree with them. On the other hand, I do not think colleges and universities should invite neo-Nazis or Klansmen or overt white supremacists to campuses just to get free speech points. I think that is an exercise in intimidation and that there is no place on a college campus for people who are celebrating 
the disenfranchisement of a significant sector of the college community or the, and the American population. So do you think that, that free speech in any way should be curtailed? It sounds like you do. Well, I, I think that um, on college campuses that we uh, have an obligation to uh, make the college campus a place where people can have disagreements without intimidation or the incitement of violence. And so there are some speakers who get up in front of the audience and, and they point to a disabled person and, and make fun of that person. They have the right to do that, but we don't have to actually allow that to take place on a college campus. In fact, I think we should not allow intimidation and harassment uh, just to show that we like free speech. What we are showing then is a lack of concern for the well-being of our students who are not just harmed because it's expression, but are harmed because it's harassment and intimidation. But what about a very left-wing speaker, someone who was opposed to a democratic system and thought that Marxism or, or communism should be imposed on the populace? Would those views be welcomed? Yeah, I think a, a, a speaker who thought that you should gather the working class into a revolutionary force to overthrow capitalism uh, I'm sure you can find speakers who feel that, who say that all the time on college campuses. What they don't say is, I'm going to bring people together in order to kill the small business owners on Main Street. If, if they said that, they would be arrested. We don't allow that, and we shouldn't allow it. And just like we, we shouldn't allow a speaker to come to campus and say, I think all the Jews should be killed, or I think all the blacks should be sent back to an, another place, and nor should we allow people to come into a classroom and harass uh, uh, people because of their gender or because of uh, their race or ethnicity. Is it a problem that the overwhelming majority of university college professors at institutions like this one are liberal or even more left than liberal? I do think it's a problem, uh, and I've written about this alienating my friends on the left because I share those prejudices. I myself am uh, on the left, and and for a long time, I didn't see the problem because when you when you share the biases of those around you, you don't think they're biases. You think they're just thoughtful perspectives. But as I've gotten to uh, spend more time with more people outside of the university, as well as my friends on the faculty, I, I still teach every semester. I, I, I have to say I, it's been more evident to me the ways in which, especially in the interpretive social sciences and humanities, the ways in which a leftist perspective sometimes makes much less visible and much less important conservative uh, possibilities in the classroom. But I mean, conservative modes of thought, libertarian, religious, market-oriented. And I think that a lot of faculty wind up hiring other faculty because they resemble one another. Now, we know this is true about race and ethnicity, and we fight against it. And I think there should be a parallel effort to diversify our faculty and the classes we offer uh, uh, because for create more intellectual diversity. I'm speaking with the president of Wesleyan University on how do we fix it at his office here in Middletown, Connecticut. And coming up, we'll be talking about some ideas of what can be done about what many people see as a crisis over free speech on college campuses. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You mentioned diversity. Is diversity being defined too narrowly. At the moment, it seems like much of the talk about diversity is concerns race and gender. But what about class and what about political views? Uh, so we make a great effort at Wesleyan, and, and many other schools do this too, to recruit uh, students from a variety of backgrounds uh, to increase the racial and ethnic diversity of our of our campus. And that results in uh, student groups on campus discovering more about their own background than they had hitherto done. But for colleges and universities to uh, perform their civic obligation in this country, we must make a concerted effort to recruit talented students from low-income groups to create more economic mobility because what we've seen in the last 20-some-odd years in this country is extraordinary stagnation. And, and so the wealthy people are getting a lot wealthier, uh, but many fewer poor people have a chance to make it to the middle class. But are there many students who could come to Wesleyan who would feel uncomfortable here? I'm thinking of the example of J.D. Vance, who wrote the best-selling book, Hillbilly Elegy, and he talks about being pretty uncomfortable at Yale in some of his classes. Absolutely. Uh, is that, would that be a problem here for well, someone sure. who's, who's been I active mean, in the military? I, I, well, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, I'll give you an old example, uh, my, my own, because I'm an old guy. I was here in the 70s as a student, and I, my parents didn't go to college. My father was a furrier. His father was a furrier. The only thing he knew is that I shouldn't become a furrier. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I worked uh, in, in making coats you know, uh, as a kid just so I would grit an extreme distaste for that kind of work, which I, I acquired. <laughs> um, but I got to Wesleyan, and I had never met anyone who had been at a private school who hadn't been kicked out of a public school. So I, I never heard of these prep schools and stuff. I mean, I know suddenly I'm surrounded by people, so it seemed to me, that were all fancy and had a great education and had very different lives than mine. And it was uncomfortable, but it was productively so. I felt challenged. I felt I had to perform. It was an extraordinarily exciting thing. Today we have at Wesleyan about 40 military veterans on campus so they feel comfortable partly because they come as cohorts, but as and I talk with the military veterans and they're men and women, there are blacks and whites and Hispanics and you know they're from, they are, they study everything from theater to computer science. When I talk to them about their biggest surprise at Wesleyan, they said they thought they would have been more uncomfortable because before they came, their friends in the in the armed services said to them, "Oh, you know, it's a very liberal place, and you know they won't like military people." And they've said they feel very welcome here. 
And what they've done is not just been part of the campus community. Many of them work with veterans organizations uh, in the region. They, um, they have made an enormous contribution. Talk about the case of Brian Staskavage. Yeah. I hope I've pronounced yeah, that right. That's, that's right, yeah. Yeah. So Brian was in our first posse of veterans, and uh, Brian's case is an interesting one because in some ways it's a model free speech case <laughs> from, from my perspective. That is, he, he started writing uh, conservative op-eds in the uh, student newspaper, and one of them that was highly critical of Black Lives Matter was the occasion for real campus controversy. What happened? Well, he was called a racist and people yelled at him. But, you know, he's, he served in combat. So it, it, was, it wasn't the hardest thing he had been through. And, and what happened was there's a, a, a whole bunch of students said the newspaper is always edited by white people. It's staffed by white people. It's funded by the student assembly. It's not right that it's not more diverse. Let's take the money away. That was the first reaction. And that reaction made it into the national press. Um, around the same time, I published a piece here on campus, the title of which was Black Lives Matter, So Does Free Speech, in which I made the point that people will say things that offend you. You have no right not to be offended. And you can't take a newspaper's credibility away because you disagree with its editorials. And, and what kind of response was there to that? A great one. Big controversy. The students worked through it. But all over the country, newspapers and uh, podcasters have, have thought, oh, see, there's a crisis of free speech on campus. What I think the takeaway from this episode was, first of all, Brian Stiscavage has now written for The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, and many other places that the Argus first threatened with, with a cut in funding. The Argus is the, the, the student Argus newspaper. The Argus is the student newspaper. Yeah. is more vital and relevant than ever. There was no cut in funding. And the student community had this opportunity to say, what do we really value? And in the end, they realized they value editorial independence as well as diversity. So I think that's the good news story rather than the crisis of free speech. I think what it showed was that people take newspapers seriously. Um, they debate them vigorously. And when push came to shove, the student government... And the pressure groups were not willing to cut the newspaper because of a disagreement. Nevertheless, our students here at this college and other uh, liberal arts colleges overprotected from views they're uncomfortable with. I, I've heard that, of course. Um, I don't. I, I. I hope not. I mean, I think. So I, I, I'll give you a few examples. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, although, I, for example, I call for more intellectual diversity in the faculty, and some of my colleagues pointed out that you don't have to be uh, a liberal to teach liberal texts, and you don't have to be a Christian to teach the Christian tradition, and you don't have to be a conservative to teach conservative things. I, I think that's all, that's all true. And so that I, we shouldn't discount the ability of, of professors to... Uh, teach a range of material with which they disagree, but to teach it in such a way as to make it intellectually uh, available and challenging to their students. Tomorrow morning, I will be teaching uh, Thomas Aquinas in my course on virtue and vice. I will make a case for medieval Catholicism to my students. That night, I will go to Rosh Hashanah services at my shul. Uh, but when I teach Aquinas, I am teaching as uh, trying to get the students to see why millions of people found this the most important text and way of thinking that could provide for their own salvation. I want them to feel that in their bones. But 
I don't have to believe that to teach that. Um, I taught Aristotle the week before and Machiavelli the week after. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that when I find, and I have big classes, they're not required, I have lots of students, that they come there knowing that they're going to be challenged to think about things that they don't particularly uh, find congenial. My view, and I tell the students this, and, uh, is that I don't care if the students like the text. Nobody, I say nobody cares if you like Aquinas. Nobody cares if I like Aquinas. Aquinas is a fundamental aspect of the culture you live in. Figure out what he said, not whether you like it or not. This is not ice cream. What, what, about, <laughs> what about this argument that the tenets of Western civilization, the great thinkers, the great books, are not taught the way they used to be and are not mentioned as much as they should be? I can never say they're mentioned enough. <laughs> I believe in this stuff, and here I am, the president of the university, and I think these courses are, are available. But are they taught the same way they were taught 40 years ago? Or 50? I hope not. Why I mean, not? Why not? Because I think there are new perspectives and new information that brings the text into the world in a different and more relevant way. So I'm bemused when people like my age, I'm 60, say, oh, the colleges, they're not doing what they used to do. Well, of course, when we were students, our parents and grandparents said, look at those college students. The idea that this generation of parents and grandparents are looking back and saying the way we had it was the way it always should be is is kind of pathetic <laughs> when you think that the generation of students who, who were in the late 60s and early 70s were self-consciously changing the world and the curriculum, and now it's a much calmer atmosphere in many respects. The great books are taught. They're not taught the same way. They're not, as, they're not taught to as many people. I think that's true. That is, many more people want to take math and computer science than they did in 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, we had a recent podcast um, about a book called The Fuzzy and the Techie. Oh, yeah. And its argument was that we need fuzzy thinking in technical areas. So do you think that some of these courses you're talking about would be really good for folks who specialize in STEM, science, Absolutely. technology, engineering, and math to take? Absolutely. My, my, my last book, Beyond the University, is about how pragmatic liberal education including the STEM fields, sets one up for a lifetime of learning and, and doing things that matter. We don't want people graduating from college who are capable of citing books at cocktail parties. That's not the point. Uh, but the point is that you use these ideas in what you wind up doing with your life. Michael Roth, thank you very much for joining You're us. You're welcome. My pleasure. <laughs> this is fun. Jim, before our conversation, just one quick word. If you're interested in the Title IX debate that we talked about in the last episode, I asked Michael Roth for his views on that, and there in our web extra, find it at howdowefixit.me. Okay, so that's Michael Roth speaking with me in his wonderful office on the campus of Wesleyan University. So, Richard, yes, nice job on that. And <laughs> Thank you. So it's almost like you have experience with this radio interviewing thing or something. But I really liked what Roth had to say, and I think that the fact that he comes at these these questions as a guy who is very liberal, he describes himself as being of the left, shows a certain generosity of spirit and open-mindedness. I also think it's important to separate. There's sort of two different points he's making. One 
the first half of your conversation is about free speech and whether free speech is really threatened. And he thinks, no, I think it is a little more than, than he does, but it's a solvable problem. The other part is about what I call this ideological monoculture. You know, I'm of the generation where my father went to college on the GI Bill. He was 27 by the time he got to college. He had so much more life experience. These GI Bill students were very serious. They were very focused. So I think it helps the university, not just for ideological diversity, but but just for social and cultural diversity, where you have people who are really serious about their education and a very, very different set of life experiences than the typical kid coming to college right out of high school. But here's where... I agree with Michael Roth, and I think I disagree with you, Jim, and that's that I don't see that there's a huge problem here. There are certain campuses where there are difficulties here on the left. There are also places where speech is dominated by the right. So it's not as if this is one side dominating over the other in higher education. Name one. Well, yeah, Falwell's University. Is there anybody at the New York Times who went there? Anyone on any appellate court in America who went there? But I bet you there's anybody people from teaching people from, at, at no, a, at come a, on, at a there are people, people from who went there. members of Congress, important members of business. No, I think Maybe. there are definitely people who. I mean, another example is Charles Koch, who's vilified by the left, giving $10 million to the Catholic University of America. Then we also have Wisconsin passing a campus speech bill that would require public colleges and universities to punish students who dare to disrupt campus speakers. So clearly there's pressure on this from not just the left, but also the right. Right. But here's where I'm going to push back, Richard. Is this comfortable? Like It's just as bad on both sides. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. In terms of the elite institutions that shape leaders in society and business, they're overwhelmingly leaning to the left. And the schools that have these conservative or, you know, fundamentalist Christian element, they're really on the fringe in terms of modern society. Yeah, and, but wait a minute. Uh, there are plenty of business colleges that promote ideas from the right. For instance, we have much greater emphasis in business education on shareholder value than we do on the rights and needs of, of employees or workers at, at large companies. Those colleges are promoting conservative values to very important business leaders. So don't pretend that it's only the left that has an influence over the leaders of tomorrow at institutions of higher education. Again, name me a person who went to one of those schools. Oh, and come I'll, on. I, I mean, the, there are plenty of people who went to, to Harvard Business School. There are plenty of people who've wait, gone wait. Har- to Wait, wait. Now Harvard Wharton. Business School is some, some bastion of right-wing ideology? No, but I no, don't think so. in, ter- in terms of business education and in terms of the way that people are taught at highly elite business schools, there are some conservative values. I think it's fine that they're there. What? Like, but, oh, but they, that, uh, that free markets might be okay? No, that's, no, not that. that. that no, idea. no, that we need to take shareholder values more seriously than the needs of of employees. Right. Richard, I, I, I hate to keep pushing back, but if that's your best example, this doesn't sound like a very big problem. I, and, I, I, and I'm actually agreeing with you. I do think that there are places where, for example, I'm sure there's a few hardcore Christian schools that don't teach evolution, stuff like that. That's stupid. Um, but the idea that that is, is having a big influence on the education of large numbers of people who are going to be leaders in our society, I think, is also just not that credible. So you think, he, he, you think an institution, a university like Notre Dame, for instance, I mean, they produce many important leaders. You think that they're left-leaning? 
I'd be uh, I mean, interested you know, in here. There are state universities and community colleges that definitely have people who have conservative views who are part of the faculty and part of the, the student body. And they are important institutions that produce leaders and members of Congress and other people who are, who are influential but, in our society. But, but nobody who writes for Saturday Night Live, nobody who writes for the New York Times, nobody who writes for the Washington Post – Ever went to any of those schools? They might have an influence in certain circles, but it's just it's silly to say that they, they have the same kind of influence that Harvard and Yale and Princeton and Wesleyan have in our national conversation. Now, you make a fair and, point about the media, but the idea that it's only liberal values or left-wing values that, that have a sway in higher education, I, I would quarrel with. So, so we've talked a lot about the group FIRE on these shows, the group that supports free speech on college campuses. And... They do have examples from both sides. There are cases of conservative censorship on colleges. I think it's bad on both sides. I'm not saying it's 100% one way or the other, but I'm agreeing with Roth that he says that he doesn't think it's a crisis of free speech, but there is a crisis of polarization. And so what I thought was so cool about what they're trying to do is to encourage more students from different backgrounds to come in, be open to different kinds of speakers coming in. And he made a really excellent point that often gets lost. You can be the most diehard conservative or the most diehard liberal, but if you never seriously engage with the ideas from the other side, if you're not able to even listen to their arguments, you can't rebut them. And you never get that opportunity to maybe discover, he said one other great thing. He was talking about his liberal views. And he said about Scalia. Yes, that was my favorite bit in the interview where he said, I I I may be wrong. Right. I may be wrong. Yeah. Let's let's leave it on a positive note, Jim. I agree with you. That was that was uh, that was a really interesting point that he made. And even passionate political beliefs. They need to have that element of humility that maybe there ought to be some piece of information that could make me change my mind. You know, if it's not possible for me to change my mind, not possible for me to encounter any fact that would make me reconsider my position, it, it's not a rational viewpoint. It's more like a religious ideology. And that's what people go to college to learn how to transcend. And we're supposed to do a podcast that <laughs> rises above our disagreements. I think we've succeeded. Uh, we tried. I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies, and we're produced by Miranda Schaefer, music by Lou Stravinsky. And this is a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at Davies Content. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. .com.